Hey, good morning, Abundant Life. How are you? And happy Labor Day weekend to you guys. I'm so glad you're here. I remember back in the day when, you know, Labor Day weekend came around, it was like nobody here. And, and anymore, it tends to be as uh, large of a Sunday as any other Sunday. And so, way to go. I'm so glad you're here. So, I hope you guys have a fantastic weekend. Hope you have a great day tomorrow, whatever you do, and uh, get to spend that time with your friends and with your loved ones and all of that. I want to begin by uh, starting off with a question today. I want to ask you a question. We're in this series, Love Is, based on 1 Corinthians 13, the great love chapter. I want to begin by asking you a question. What is one thing that you should continually be asking God to give to you, but when he gives it to you, that you do not thank him for it? Wisdom, great health. No, no. No, humility, humility, yes. And so you looked at the notes, right? Yes, you did. So <laughs> humility, yes. I mean, stop and think about it. It's like, it's like, God, would you help me to walk humbly before you? Would you help me, God, to walk humbly before the people in my life? And, and then at the end of the day, God, thank you so much. You helped me be such a humble person today. And, and I, just, I, just, I, just, I, was just, I just ooze humility today. Thank you for helping me be such a humble person. It just doesn't sound right, right? But yet it's something all of us need and, and all of us desire and is such an important ingredient in this thing called relationships. And so we're in this series uh, called Love Is, and we're looking at relationships, and, and we've talked about how so important relationships are. All of life is about relationships, isn't it? It's about a relationship with God, first and foremost, and then it's about a relationship with one another, our family and our friends and, and even our enemies. It's, it's all about relationships. Now, what is the number one ingredient in order to have really successful relationships? What do you suppose it is? How about love? Okay. Love is a, is a great ingredient to have in relationships. And Paul, as he takes us into 1 Corinthians 13, remember, uh, no less than five times Paul says to us that no matter what you say, no matter what you know, it doesn't matter what you believe, it doesn't matter what you give, it doesn't even matter what you accomplish, that if you don't do any of those things with love in your heart, then they don't matter. And so love is such an important ingredient in relationships. And, and so did you know that you can actually practice being a loving person? You can practice being a loving person. How many of you could stand to practice being a little bit more loving? The Bible tells us in 1 John, let's not just talk about love. Let's, what's that word? Let's practice. Let's practice real love. I want you to circle the word practice, okay? Circle it. Everybody say practice. Practice. How many of you here have ever practiced anything? Raise your hand, okay? Hey, like, how many of you have practiced a musical instrument? Okay, good. How many of you have practiced a sport? Or something like that. Voice lessons, maybe. I don't know. But you, but you practice stuff. And you know how it is. When you first start practicing something, you're not that good at it, right? But then as you get better, and you don't enjoy it because you're not that good. But then when you practice, you get better. Now you enjoy doing it, right? 
I remember I used to play racquetball. I used to, uh, I haven't played for years now, but I used to play racquetball rather competitively. And I played for about 20 or 25 years. But when I first started playing the game, I hated it. I hated it with a passion. I thought it looked like fun. And so the first time I ever played, I played with my brother-in-law. And this guy, he, he's the kind of guy that he, whatever he does, he does it 150%. How many of you are like that, okay? You can't do anything halfway. Everything has to be 150%. And so he was pretty good at racquetball, even though I'm more athletic than he is. I am. I'm not, that's not a pride statement. It's just fact. I'm more athletic than he is. <laughs> When he taught karate back in, when I was in college, you know, he was like a second or third degree black belt, and I took karate from him, and, and he was much better than I In fact, he beat the mess out of me one time, and I swore that'll never happen again, and, and, it, and it didn't, but he was better at that. But I'm, I was more athletic than he was. Same thing with racquetball. I was more athletic. I knew I could beat him, but he beat the snot out of me, and I hated it. So I decided I'm going to practice I'm going to practice racquetball and get better. And so I started, I started reading books, and I started playing other people, and I started, you know, working on my forehand, and I started working on my backhand and all this stuff, and, and I got pretty good. And so the day came when I got to play him again. Guess what happened? I beat the snot out of him. I did. I, just, I, I worked him like nobody's business, man. And I'm telling you, I was so proud. I was so proud to just beat him to an absolute pulp. It was great. It was great. Why? Because I practiced and I got really good. I got really good at it. Now, here's a principle, however, when we talk about practicing. How many of you have heard the statement, practice makes perfect? You've heard that? Do you agree with that? Okay, some of you are saying no because you probably understand that practice doesn't necessarily make perfect because you can practice the wrong way or you can practice the wrong things. Okay, like golf, for example. How many of you play golf? Okay, and how many of you just go practice, 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 and you're not getting any better? Okay, it could be because you're practicing the wrong way or the wrong thing, and all you're doing is making bad habits. And so the key is, Perfect practice makes perfect, okay? Perfect practice makes perfect, so you've got to practice the right thing. Well, the Bible says you can practice being a loving person, but you've got to practice it the right way. And so in order to practice it the right way, what has to happen? You've got to know what love is in order to practice it. And so what is love? How do you describe it? Remember we said that love is not a feeling. It's not an emotion. It produces those things, but it's not that. It's an action, and it's expressed in certain ways. And so what we've learned so far is that love is patient. How many of you could stand practicing being more patient? Raise your hand, okay? And then love is kind. How many of you could stand practicing being a little bit more kind to people in your life? Raise your hand, okay? And then last week we talked about how love does not envy, or we kind of switch that around, and we talked about how love rejoices. It's joyful when other people are being blessed, okay, so it doesn't envy. So how many of you could stand to be a little bit more joyful when people in your life seem to be getting ahead of you? 
Sure, okay, yeah, a few of you, okay. Now, today we're talking about how, how love is not boastful and love is not proud. In order for us to really look at this, we have to kind of switch it around and talk about humility. But before we can do that, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4. Read this with me. Love does not boast. It is not proud. It doesn't boast. Love, love doesn't boast. And it's not proud. In the Living Bible, it says love is not conceited or proud. Now, last week, we talked about how envy is one of the seven deadly sins. You remember that? No, you don't. You don't remember that because I know you forget stuff by Wednesday, okay? I, I wouldn't have remembered it had I not just read it. But anyway, we talked about how uh, envy is one of the seven deadly sins. Well, guess what pride is? It's one of the seven deadly sins too. And guess where it falls on the list? It's number one. It's number one. And, and so pride has been, actually been called the original sin. Did you know that? By some, it's been called the original sin because it's what got Lucifer kicked out of heaven. Okay, C.S. Lewis made an observation. He said pride is a complete anti-God state of mind. The Bible says in Proverbs 16 that God detests pride, hates it, hates pride, can't stand pride. Why? There's nothing good that comes from pride. It causes all kinds of problems. It creates arguments. It's a breeding ground for arguments. It, it keeps you from admitting when you're wrong. I think pride will block the flow of blessing in your life. I'll give you a story for, as an example. Way back in the, uh, in the 1800s, 1884, there were, uh, there were parents who lost a son. And they wanted to establish a memorial to their son. And so they went to Charles Eliot, who at the time was the president of Harvard University. And Charles Eliot was a little bit impatient with them. They were, you know, there's nothing about this couple that would, would, you know, like attract people to them. They were kind of homely looking and all this. He was somewhat impatient, somewhat condescending to them. But he, he, he you know, impatiently says, you know, what is it I could do for you? Perhaps you would like to establish a scholarship or something. And, they, and the lady said, she says, no, we actually had something more substantial in mind, like a building. And he just kind of, uh, you know, shoved it off. What's the word? He just kind of sloughed it off. He just kind of sloughed it off. And, and, and again, kind of a condescending way says, well, that would be really expensive. And after all, this is Harvard University. And so the couple left. And then about a year later, he caught wind that this same couple had donated a, a grant or a, a fund to um, the, the Leland Stanford Junior College in the tune of $26 million. Yeah, of course, today we know that as Stanford University. Wow. I mean, what, are, what blessings do people miss in their life because of pride? It gets in the way. Pride will block the floor of blessings. And there's nothing good about pride. Pride, it causes people to brag. It causes people to boast. It causes people to be critical, to be demanding, to be demeaning. It causes people to be exaggerating and, and to be judgmental. And, and just as pride is the root of all sin, Perhaps humility is that foundation upon which we need to build our life as the virtue, uh, as the foundation of all virtues. Proud people, what I've discovered, and maybe you have too, 
can oftentimes be insecure. And if you ever find somebody who's very arrogant and, and boastful and, and all of those kinds of things, you can almost guarantee that that's coming from a place of insecurity. Because secure people have it within them to be humble people. I'll give you a perfect example. Jesus in John chapter 13, right? You remember the story when Jesus washed the feet of his disciples? In order for Jesus to do that, he had to possess a great sense of, um, of identity, a great sense of who he was. He had to possess a great degree of humility to be able to do that because a prideful person wouldn't have the courage to do that. And so if you read that story, go read the story, and you'll see where when Jesus had finished performing this, this act of service for his disciples, he made a very interesting statement. He says, you know, you call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, because that's who I am. In other words, Jesus was fully aware of who he was. And because he was so fully aware of who he was, then it freed him to be able to serve his disciples. He says, you call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, that's who I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you go do the same thing. You go serve other people. And what Jesus knew was to be true is that if you're going to serve other people, you have to possess great humility because people who can't serve others, it's not just that they lack humility. Many times it's, it's insecurity that keeps them from being able to do that. And so God says he detests pride, but he loves humility. He loves it when we're humble. In Isaiah 66, this is the one I esteem. He who is humble and contrite in spirit. This is the one I lift up. This is the one I esteem. The one who is humble and contrite in heart. Now, of all of these qualities that we're talking about, patience and kindness and rejoicing when other people get ahead, this one, humility, is probably the most misunderstood of all the qualities. It's difficult to get our hands around the whole notion of humility. The word humility, by the way, comes from the Latin word humilitas, humilitas. And what it means is um, of the earth, or it means to be grounded, to be grounded. So stop and think about it for just a moment. Think of a person that you would say is a grounded individual. They're of the earth, grounded. I don't know who comes to mind, but for me, it would be somebody like Billy Graham. Billy Graham, I think, would be a grounded individual. Think of somebody, think of all of the lives that he's impacted. Think of the, the thousands and thousands and thousands of people that he's spoken before. Think of the hundreds and the millions of people who have come to Christ through his ministry and teaching. Of all the people who could be full of the sense of arrogance or pride, he, he's not. He's, you probably can't find a, a more humble person, a more grounded person. In fact, one time, Billy Graham was on an elevator, and somebody recognized him and said, you're Billy Graham, aren't you? And he says, why, yes, I am. And this person responded by saying, I just want you to know you are a great man. You know what Billy Graham's response was? Immediately, he replied, no, I'm not a great man. 
I just happen to have a great message. Now, that's a grounded individual right there. Because I suppose he had every reason why he could have said, why, why thank you, I appreciate, I appreciate and recognize your gift of discernment. I appreciate and recognize the fact that you're a very wise and intelligent person. No, he just said, I'm not a great person. I'm not a great man. I just happen to have a great message. And so humility, what is it? What's it not? Here's my favorite definition of humility. Humility, it's not thinking less of yourself. It's just thinking of yourself less. That's my favorite definition of humility. It's not thinking less of yourself, but it's thinking of yourself less. Humility, it's not denying your strengths, but it's acknowledging your weaknesses. That's a part of humility. Humility, it's not weakness. Sometimes people think that if you're going to be a humble person, then you're just going to be a weak kind of a person, and everybody's going to walk all over you. It's like you're a doormat or something, right? Some of you might have that idea, that notion of a humble person. You know, you can just walk all over him or her. In fact, there's an organization, there's an order out there, and they call themselves the doormats. You know what doormats stands for? Dependent order of really meek and timid souls. That's it. Yeah. And, and, and so it's, it's like people who think, well, if I'm going to be humble, then I have to let people just walk all over me. No, it's not that at all. Sometimes people think humility is about being weak and, and spineless and, 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 and self-deprecation and all of these things, the poor self-image and all of that. No. That's, that's not humility at all. It's not lack of confidence. It's, it's not shyness. It's not being timid. And, and all of these things we many times associate with humility. Take Jesus again. Would any of those things describe Jesus? You know, timid, shy, lack courage. Would any of those describe Jesus? No. Yet he was the most humble person who ever walked on the face of the earth. In fact, Jesus probably was the most courageous person to ever walk on the face of the earth, right? And humble at the same time. In fact, I think that's a great combination. In fact, people who can be very courageous are oftentimes very humble people because their strength is born out of their humility. And when you look at the scripture, God blesses people who are humble. He detests pride, but he loves humility. Listen to some of the promises that are associated with humility. God saves the humble. He supports the humble. He rescues the humble. He promises to exalt the humble. He gives wisdom to the humble. He gives grace to the humble. Over and over and over again, the Bible says, if you walk humbly before me, if you're a humble person, I'm going to lift you up. I'm going to bless your life. Over and over, God says that. But we also know that pride goes before the fall, right? We all know that too. I read a story about a pastor, and he's going to preach his first sermon ever. And so he's worked really hard on this sermon, and he's really got it down pat. I mean, he's so proud of his message, and he just knows, I'm going to wow the people. I'm going to wow the people this Sunday with my ability to speak and my oratory skills and all this stuff. And so he gets up and he starts preaching his first sermon. And what happens right out of the gate, he starts stumbling over phrases. He starts mispronouncing words. He starts forgetting things. And he's so embarrassed by this point. He just closes his notes, hangs his head, and he walks off the stage in embarrassment. 
Everybody left except for one old gentleman. He was kind of hanging back in the background. And after everybody had left, he walked up to this guy. He happened to be a noted preacher himself. And he walks up to this young guy and he says, son, let me just share something with you. I learned a lesson a long time ago. And the lesson is some advice that maybe would help you. If you had gone up the way you came down, then you would have come down the way you went up. Think about it for just a moment. And, and, and so when we humble ourselves, God lifts us up. But when we are full of pride and, and arrogance, he says, okay, you're on your own. You're on your own because, like C.S. Lewis says, pride is just that anti-state, anti-God state of mind. So James 4.10, humble yourselves before the Lord, and he'll lift you up. So how do we do this? How do we develop humility? How do we become humble people? I'm going to tell you, it's something just like uh, patience and just like kindness and just like rejoicing when other people succeed. It's a choice. It's a choice. You and I make the choice as to whether or not we're going to be arrogant and condescending or whether or not we're going to be humble and, and have hearts of service. We make the choice as to which we're going to be. And, and, and I want to say something to you for just a moment because I'm going to give you four steps that you can take, and I'm going to give them to you pretty quickly. But at this juncture in the message, some of you, if you're thinking... Man, I could have stayed home and, and watched the game or watched golf. I really don't need this message today. You're probably the very one who needs to hear it. Okay, so if you're sitting there thinking, I don't need a message on humility, you might ask for a second opinion, okay? If you're sitting there thinking, man, I am so glad he's speaking on this because I've been wrestling with some areas in my life where I think I'm just kind of arrogant and kind of prideful and and I'm, I just, I'm glad he's teaching on this today so that I can learn to be just a little bit more humble than, hey, way to go, okay? You're okay. You're, you're, you're good, okay? If you're thinking, I don't need this, okay, hang on. Take notes. Take good notes, okay? So here's the first step. And you could call these habits of humility. These are some steps toward humility. This first one I think is so important, and it's be willing to put others before self. That's the first practice, that's the first habit, is be willing to put other people before yourself. Leonard Bernstein, he's the former conductor of the New York Philharmonic Orchestra, and, and once he was asked the question, what is the most difficult instrument to play in the orchestra? What's the most difficult to play? What do you suppose he said? Did you say harp? Yeah, harp would probably be pretty tough to play. All right, what else? Violin. violin. Yeah, you're really close. You're really close to the violin, okay? Hmm? Viola. viola, yeah, really, yeah, viola, okay. Hmm? Somebody said bagpipes in the first serve. Yeah, that'd be tough. <laughs> Not sure I've heard, seen bagpipes, heard bagpipes. You know what he said? He says, the most difficult instrument to play in the orchestra is second fiddle. Isn't that great? Second fiddle. So the, you said violin? Okay. You're pretty close, pretty close. He says, I can find, what do you call people who sit in the, and play first, first chair? First chair. He says, I can find first chair violinists. They're like everywhere, okay? Everybody wants to be a first chair violinist. He says, it's hard. 
finding somebody who's willing to play second fiddle. And he says, that's too bad because if I don't have second fiddle, I don't have harmony. Isn't that great? What a wonderful picture. I mean, how much better would our relationships be if all of us would just be willing to play second fiddle so there could be harmony in our relationships? Harmony. Romans chapter 12, verse 10 says, give preference to one another in honor. I love the message version. It says, be good friends who love deeply. Read this rest of this with me. Practice playing second fiddle. Practice playing second fiddle. You see, humility, it's not putting yourself down. Humility is simply not putting yourself first. It's not putting yourself first. In Philippians chapter 2, I love this book and I love this chapter. I love this description. It says, don't push your way to the front. Put yourself aside and help others to get ahead. Don't be obsessed with getting your own advantage. Forget yourselves long enough to lend a helping hand. Think of yourselves the way Jesus thought of himself. He was God. He was God. But he took on the status of a slave. An incredibly humbling process. He didn't claim special privileges. Instead, he lived a selfless, obedient life life. Isn't that great? That's one of the greatest chapters in the Bible. Philippians chapter 2, greatest description of Jesus is in that chapter. How many of you here have heard of Patrick Lencioni? Patrick Lencioni, I get to hear speak. All of our staff went to um, the Global Leadership Summit about two weeks or so ago. And Patrick Lencioni was one of the speakers. And he just recently wrote a book that he's entitled The Ideal Team Player. The ideal team player. And he says they've discovered that there are three qualities that, that make up the ideal team player. What do you suppose the number one quality of an ideal team player is? It's humility. You're pretty smart people. You can figure stuff out. <laughs> okay. Humility. Humility. In fact, this is what he said in his book. He says, humility is the single greatest and most indispensable attribute of being a team player. The single greatest. Listen, this is, he's not writing to a church crowd. He's writing to people in the business world. And he's saying, if you want to be a great team player, then you need to be a humble person. It's the greatest quality you could possibly possess. Now, some of you are dying to know, what are the other two, <laughs> right? Okay, the, the, second, the second one was they're hungry. They're hungry, okay? So you can pretty well figure that out. And, and the third ingredient was they're smart. They're smart. Now, he says that it's not the kind of intelligence that you're thinking. It's not like intellectual smart, but they're smart in dealing with people. They're smart in dealing with people. But humility was the first one, the first one. So the first habit of humility, the first step in, in, in being a humble person is being willing to put others before myself. I challenge you to practice that this week. Husbands, practice that 
with your, with your wives, okay? Let her get both feet in the car before you pull out of the driveway, okay? <laughs> Actually, why don't you open the door, you know, for her? I mean, you, you'll have hundreds of opportunities to put other people before yourself. Here's number two. Be open to correction from others. Be open to correction from others. How many of you here like to be corrected? Raise your hand. <laughs> okay. Oh, okay. Maybe a, some of you are like, <laughs> okay. You're like, like yeah, I, sh- I know the answer is yes, I should be open to it. But we don't like it. We don't like to be corrected by other people. Proverbs 12, verse 1, it says, whoever hates correction is, what's that word? Stupid. They're, they're, they're stupid. A part of being humble A part of humility is being teachable. It's being teachable. It's being willing to learn. Have you ever tried to help somebody who knew it all? It's impossible, isn't it? It's it's nearly impossible to help somebody who knows everything. You ever want to help somebody and you point out something and they go, yeah, I knew that. Yeah, I knew that. And, and you're thinking to yourself, well, if you knew that, why did you do this? Or why do you keep doing that? I grabbed a book about a year ago. I haven't had a chance to read it yet, but I'm looking forward to reading it. It's called, what was that? Was that a call for somebody laughing? I don't know. I, don't, I, I missed Anyway, grabbed a book, grabbed a book about a year ago. I haven't had a chance to read it yet. And um, the, the title of the book is The Key to Everything. The Key to Everything. I thought, that's an interesting title. Great title, The Key to Everything. And so without looking any further, I, I said, what's the key to everything? What do you think the key to everything is? What do you think? The key to everything. You have to really yell. Love, okay, that, yeah, I think that could be the key to everything. Way to yell it out there. Way to go. Jim, right? Yeah, I thought so. <laughs> I could smell the breath when it came up this, this far. <laughs> I also recognize the voice. Okay, love, that's a great answer, but I mean, that's not what that, And I'm not saying this guy's right, but, but it's a great, I think, I think he's on to something. Key to every, I, I just tell you the answer. The key to everything, he says, is, Teachability. Teachability. And this guy's a pastor who wrote the book. And, and so I imagine it's coming from a biblical perspective. So I'm looking forward to reading the book. But, but teachability. Now, being open to correction. There's three reasons by being, why being open to correction is a good thing. Okay, here's number one, letter A. You'll be a more likable person. Okay. Yeah. I mean, again, you know how it is. If you try to help somebody, correct somebody, and they just resist it and they just get all defensive and everything, then, then it makes you, if you're always defensive, you're not likable. But if people, you know, if you're open to correction, it just makes you a more likable person. In fact, Proverbs 15 says, conceited people do not like to be corrected and they never ask for advice. And, and so you'll just be more likable. Here's letter B. You'll be a wiser person. You'll be a wiser person. Humble people, they're always wanting to learn. They're always wanting to grow, and they're open to correction because they, they want to grow. They want to improve. They want to be the best they can. Proverbs 15 says, if you reject criticism, you only harm yourself. But if you listen to correction, you grow in understanding. 
And, and so be, be open to, to, to correction, and, and what you'll discover is that you'll become a wiser person. And then here's the last one. You'll have less conflict with people. If, if you and I are open to correction, you'll have less con- conflict with people. In fact, Proverbs 13.10 says, pride only leads to arguments. So proud people get defensive. Humble people say, hey, you know, thank you. Thank you for sharing that with me. I appreciate it. Now, I just, I'm just going to mention that, that just because somebody shares an observation, you know, of criticism or a correction, it, it doesn't necessarily mean they're right. But you and I are to listen anyway. It doesn't mean they're right necessarily, and, and, but many times it could be. And it, nor does it mean that you have to do what they say. But, but what I'm talking about is be open, listen, and say thank you for sharing that because I'm going to consider that. I'm going to ponder that. I'm going to think about that. And it'll just help you become a better person. And so be, be willing to put others before myself and then uh, be open to correction. Number three, be able to admit when I'm wrong. Be able to admit when I'm wrong. Nobody's right 100% of the time, right? Nobody's right 100% of the time. And, and so be, be able to admit when, when you are wrong. Proverbs 28, a man who refuses to admit his mistakes can never be successful. But he says a person who confesses and forsakes them, he gets another chance. And so be willing to admit when you're wrong. Because this is what I've discovered. A proud person wants to fix the blame. But a humble person wants to fix the problem and the situation. And so be the kind of person who is humble, open to correction, admit you're wrong. And then here's the last one, number four. Be surrendered to God's purpose for my life. Be surrendered to God's purpose for my life. Augustine made this observation when he said, pride was the greatest sin and that a proud person exalts himself and displaces God. Pride is something that God is very serious about. He takes it very seriously. He despises it. And in James 4, 6, it says this, God opposes. Circle that word opposes. He opposes everyone who is proud. I don't know about you. I don't want God in opposition to me. But he gives grace. Circle that. He gives grace to everyone who is humble. So surrender to God. Surrender to God. Yeah, God gives me the freedom to dream and to make plans and to have goals and all of those things. He gives me the freedom to do that. But I've I've got to be willing to surrender all of my life to God because that's the ultimate example of humility is when I can humble myself before God. In fact, Proverbs 16.1 says, we make our plans, but God has the last word. How many of you have discovered that's true? We make our plans, but God has the final word, so I have to surrender myself before him. When we went to the uh, Global Leadership Summit, Bill Hybels was one of the speakers and just had an amazing, amazing message. And in that message, he talked about um, a practice that he's been practicing now for about the last 10 years. And I thought, man, that is profound and that is so powerful. But he says, the first thing I do now when I wake up in the morning, he says, the first thing I do, I just roll right out of bed, right to my knees. And the last thing I do before I go to bed at night is I get on my knees before God. And that really hit me. I thought, man, that is, that is so simple, but it's so profound. I, I've kind of adopted this thing that when I wake up, I just start giving thanks to God. But I thought, I want to I bring this into my life too. And so 
shortly after the, uh, the conference, I started practicing that because I know I need that in my life. Now, I hurt my knee about a week or so ago. That's why I'm kind of standing in one place right now. And so I had to go, I had to skip a week. And in fact, I tried it again last night. And it's like, I've been there, got my legs straight way back because I, can, I can't bend it. And so I said, okay, God, I'll, I'll get back to it. Okay, I'll get back to it. Okay, you know, you know my heart. But I thought, man, that's a great practice. I challenge you. Maybe, maybe that would be something you would consider adopting. First thing, I, I set a pillow right beside my bed, okay? I set a pillow right beside my bed, and, uh, and then I have another extra pillow to throw at the dog because when, when it starts, you know, walking around and scratching on the bed because it's trying to get attention from my wife to take it outside, I've got that pillow to throw at the dog. The other pillow... <laughs> The other pillow is I just roll out of bed and, and I just, and I, and I need, I'm not saying this to impress you or any of that stuff. This is because I need it. And I thought, man, what a great way to start the day. Lord, I, I just humble myself before you. I surrender my day to you. I surrender my life to you. I surrender everything about this day to you. Surrender to you. And, and I think that's what God's looking for. I think God is looking for people who will humble themselves before him because he, he loves humility. And he's ready to lift up people who will humble themselves before him. Let's read this last verse together, Psalm 37. Let's read this together. All who humble themselves before the Lord shall be given every blessing and shall have wonderful peace. I'm going to ask if you'd bow your head as we close out today. The, one of the greatest ways that you can surrender to God is to bow your heart before him and to invite his son Jesus to be your savior and your Lord. Now, many of you here have done that. I know, I realize that. I'm gonna invite you to pray with me in just a moment as a way of recommitting your life to that. Some of you here have never ever surrendered your heart. And I don't know if it's pride that's keeping you from doing that, but, but maybe something related to pride. Maybe today would be the day that you would say, I'm going to humble myself before God, and I'm going to say, Lord Jesus, I need you in my life. And so I'm going to invite you, would you close your, your eyes, bow your head and close your eyes, and would you repeat after me this prayer? Father in heaven, today I humble myself before you, and I open my heart to you, Jesus. And I ask you to be the Savior and the Lord of my life. I choose to follow you. I surrender my life to you. I pray this in your name. Amen.